You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Welcome, everybody. Once again, it's great to have you here. And today we're kicking off a new series called Four. And you know, the, the church and Christians in our, our culture have become known for so many things in today's day and age. Unfortunately, more often than not, we have become known for all the wrong things. When someone hears the word Christian or church, they think of all the wrong things. The things a select few have done in the name of Jesus that Jesus would have never done. And and this isn't a recent 2020 issue, but this is something that has plagued the church for thousands of years. Uh, And and bear with me for a second. We're going to kind of dive into a little church history lesson. So uh, if you like history, you can follow along. If you don't, just do your best to stick through it. In 313 AD, the church began a pretty radical transformation. Uh, The church's history in the first two and a half years of its existence really uh, was more of an underground movement of followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus, Christians would gather in house churches mostly, kind of under the radar. In fact, when they would often be discovered, they'd be persecuted, imprisoned, or even put to death for following Jesus, for what they were doing. And, and, and although today the word church usually refers to a building or a location, like today you said we're going to church, and you immediately thought of a building or a location. Uh, the, the Greek word translated church, which is Greek is the language early Christians would have used, is ekklesia. And and ekklesia literally means ek, a preposition meaning out of, and a verb kaleo, which means called. So together, it literally means the called out ones. So uh, church, uh, in its original meaning, was never meant to refer to a building or a location. It was a gathering of called out ones, of followers of Jesus. So wherever followers of Jesus gathered, that was church. Uh, That's changed over the years, of course, because then you come to 313 AD. Two of the emperors in the Roman Empire met together. Emperor uh, of Western Europe, Constantine, and the emperor, uh, Licinius, who controlled the Balkans. They met together in what we know now as uh, Milan. And they agreed to change policies toward Christians following the edict of toleration that was issued by a previous emperor two years earlier. The Edith Milan gave Christianity a legal status. Up to this point, it was illegal to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. For the first time in 313 AD, Christianity became, gained legal status in the Roman Empire. It wasn't the official religion of the, the Roman Empire, but it became legal. Uh, a few decades later, in 380 AD, things changed even more significantly as Emperor Theodius issued the Edict of Thessalonica, making Christianity the official state religion of the Roman Empire. And over the next 1,200 years, uh, this began the morphing of what had previously been a movement of people into an institution of structure. And the church became more and more institutional, less and less of what Jesus intended it to be when he first started the church in the first century. In 800 AD, the Holy Roman Empire was formed, which was the first time that church would function, not as a building which was already a shift, but now as a region of land. The church had now become an official country in governance with military laws and everything that goes with it. A few centuries later, things continued to drift even further from Christ's dream for the church. When uh, 
Christians took part in one of the most destructive actions ever taken in the name of Jesus, something that we know today as the Crusades. These were a series of religious wars in Western Asia and Europe, uh, supported and sometimes even directed by the church between the 11th and 17th centuries. Uh, The Crusades differed from other religious conflicts in that uh, followers of Jesus were, were told and taught that participation in the Crusades actually counted for penance for confessed sin. That if they fought in this war, their sins could be forgiven. And this is how far things had drifted. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, the church slowly became more and more known for the things they were against instead of the things they were for. In the middle of that, we come to this unique, remarkable day, October 31st, 1517. A rogue monk that had broken away from the mainstream church of that day would nail a document to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church in Germany. It was his 95 theses, or 95 issues, that he had with the church of his day. This man's name was Martin Luther, and this would spark what became known as the Great Reformation. It was the beginning of a radical shift in the church's approach that still continues to this day. These 95 theses were a call by Martin Luther to return to the things the church was ultimately called to be for as followers of Jesus. And over the past 1,500 plus years, we've had seasons of ups and downs in church history. There have still been moments where we revert back, maybe not in the same ways, but in new ways by putting some of our our attention and effort toward the things we're against as opposed to the things we are for. And, And now we find ourselves in 2000. 20. Nearly 2,000 years since the inception of the church. We now live in a country that's incredibly divided, not just in the church, but as a whole. Whether it be on social media, through family interactions, or those who we're friends with or not friends with, we have often become more known by the things we are against than the things we are for. In a heated election year, it's even worse. We're against the Democrats. We're against the Republicans. We're against the conservative right or the liberal left. We're against people that look different than us or talk different than us or have a different color skin than us. We're, we're, we're against the, the ideals of a generation gone by. We're against the, the concepts of a generation emerging. We're against fossil fuels. We're against tree-hugging hippies. We're, we're against so many things, aren't we? You just go on social media and you'll see all the things we are against. We found ourselves living in a world that can't get along, can't agree on anything, and and are defining themselves by the battles they're ultimately engaged in. And into this world, I believe we are called as the church of Jesus Christ to step in, to emerge, not to fight another battle, not to broadcast all the things we hate or that we're against, but to begin to proclaim and fight for the things that we're ultimately for. Consider this our 95 theses of sort. You you see, we are committed to not putting our attention and all of our effort toward the things we are against, the things that we hate, but putting all that we've got, working toward and fighting for the things that Jesus ultimately is for. And over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to be talking about. The the, the things that as a church, we're called to be for. You see, Jesus wasn't 
a Republican and for all things red. He, he wasn't a Democrat and for all things blue. As a church, we aren't committed toward the right or the left. We aren't against this group or that group. We ultimately are for you. And, 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 and being for you encompasses the whole, not just part, the part that looks like us, talks like us, but all of God's wonderful, beautiful creation. And I want to pause here for a second, because yesterday started an important month, I believe, in our, in, our, in our country. It's Black History Month. And, you know, we find ourselves in North Huntington, Irwin, in a, in a pretty, uh, not, not a very diverse community. And I, I believe it's important for us to recognize the importance of, of others that are different than us. Others that might, uh, there are stereotypes and, and, and there's racism and all of that that goes on. It's important for us to recognize that just because someone is different, looks different than us, or talks different than us, or, or believes things different than us, whether it's uh, uh, their race or, or their background or their economic basis, whatever it might be, it doesn't give us an excuse to believe the stereotypes. It is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to step beyond the walls and the stereotypes and to understand where another person is and what they're thinking and, and, and how they're viewing things. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He stepped from heaven to earth, stepped out of what was familiar into what was unfamiliar and to transform it. And that's what God has called us to do as, as a church, as individuals, because it's not about what we're against. It's not about what we hate. It's not about what's horrible in our world. It's ultimately about what we're for. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph. This one moment began the fulfillment of over 300 prophecies made hundreds or even thousands of years before. This, this was a remarkable moment. The, the prophecies that were made about Jesus weren't to set up a bureaucracy of grace or an institution of forgiveness. Not, not that organization or structure are bad necessarily, but everything Jesus did and said was pointed ultimately toward one goal, one singular action that Jesus would take that would forever change the game for you and me. His resurrection. Everything changed in that moment. Yeah, yeah he was killed upon the cross and, and that's an important moment. But there were a lot of prophets and men and women that were killed for their beliefs. There was only one that rose again. His resurrection was a remarkable moment, an impossible moment. And, and, and he did this because Jesus came to this earth for one reason, not, not to be against evil, not to be against all the horrible people in the world, but to see, seek, save, rescue, and transform people like you and me. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's very clear throughout the Gospels that Jesus wasn't simply here to be against sin. Not that he condoned it. Not that endorsing it was, was something he, he, was, he wasn't endorsing sin, but he wasn't here to be against it. His ultimate goal and mission wasn't to be against anything. It was to be for you. This is what the author of Hebrews is getting to. That we're going to read in a minute. In, in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, there's this remarkable couple chapters of Scripture where the author of Hebrews is outlining all of these men and women of faith 
Uh, chapter 11 is often referred to as the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. And you have all these men and women that did impossible, remarkable things in faith. And they're, they're listed. And it's this encouraging chapter. And, and then we get to chapter 12. And it, it's like uh, the, the author of Hebrews is trying to say, look at all this history. Look at all this taking place. These men and women have done remarkable things. And then we get to chapter 12 and we get inserted into the story. It's like the, the author of Hebrews brings us into the story. Here's how it starts in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse number one. The author of Hebrews writes this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So often, even the idea of of, of serving Jesus, or, or the idea that Jesus is for you, or whether the church is for you, can make it almost seem like following Jesus is like an individual thing. Like we're isolated, we're on this journey by ourselves. We gotta figure this out all in our, ourselves. And we'll talk more about this next week, but it most definitely is not an isolated individual thing. In the chapter before, is he's outlining all of these different heroes of the faith. We see this collection of people, this group of people uh, that, that have gone before us, and they're not sitting idle in heaven, twiddling their thumbs, you know, just saying, well, we made it, we arrived. But as the author of Hebrews alludes to here, they are standing on the grandstands of heaven, cheering for you, for me. Moses and Joshua, Abraham and Noah, Esther and Deborah, Peter and John, uh, those, those loved ones that have prayed so hard for you that have passed They're all looking down from heaven. They're pulling for you, cheering for you, cheering you on toward what God ultimately wants to do in your life. Jesus, on the other hand, he's not cheering from the sidelines or the grandstands. He's invested in your life because he ultimately is for you. Here's what it goes on in second part of Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. It says, "Let let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus, he's he's not doing this just to start a religion. It's because he's for us. He's for you. And if Jesus is for you, we as a church ultimately are for the things that Jesus is for. He's our guide, our model, our example. When Jesus goes to such great lengths in his suffering and dying upon the cross and then rising again three days later, the statement that he is making still reverberates today. We are called as a church to be for you because Jesus was for you. That means that, that, that as a church, we don't exempt, exist, exist to simply have church or, or to fight against all the things we hate or don't like about our world. We exist ultimately to be for you. Or, or as we might say here at Calvary, that we're here to lead people into an overflowing life with Jesus. That's, that's what we'll, we'll say. We, we don't just want to see you exist, survive, or, or maintain 
but to see breakthrough, living a life of abundance, an overflowing life where as you experience all that God has for you, the fullness of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, that it overflows into the lives around you that Jesus is equally for. That, that boss, that coworker, that classmate, that neighbor, Jesus is for them just as much as he's for you. And when we get this idea that Jesus is for me, it allows us to go deeper. It allows us to pursue him, that we can live life out of abundance, out of an overflowing life where it flows into other people's lives. And, and this idea that Jesus is for us, or we as a church are for you. It's, it's more than just being for you. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how we are for us and we're for them and how we're ultimately for him and what God wants. These are all things that we should be for together. But it starts with us being for you. And not just us as a church or, or Jesus you see, we can be for you, Jesus can be for you, the grandstands of heaven can be cheering you on, but you still have to be for you. You have to act, uh, act upon that support and encouragement that you receive. It starts with you being for you. It, it's time we as Christians, I believe, stop being victims, stop putting responsibility on someone else or something else, and, and that we rise up to take responsibility for our own lives. Stop we blame, stop blaming and coming up with excuses. And then we recognize our calling is to be for me, first and foremost. See, who you are today and who you become tomorrow will be a direct result of whether or not you choose to be for you. We as a church will continue to use the resources we have, every ounce of energy we have available to see you succeed in fulfilling your God-given potential. Our leaders work incredibly hard, are, are amazingly creative. But in the end, we can't force you to be for you. Only you can make that choice. That's your decision. None of us can twist your arm to do that. And as the worship team comes today, in the Old Testament, Joshua, one of the early leaders for the Israelites, said it this way in Joshua 24, 15. He said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. That was a really powerful statement for, Jesus, for Joshua to make. He makes that statement near the end of his life. As he knows that his days are getting numbered, he's not going to be with them anymore. And, and as his days are being numbered, he's trying to share with the Israelites, guys, we've just walked into the promised land. We took ownership of this land. Like We had some amazing battles that we won. Look at what we've done. The land of Canaan that, that God promised our ancestors has now become our home. Look at all of this. This is incredible. But he challenged them. He said, this is awesome looking back, and I love what we've accomplished and all the good things that have happened. But today... There's a choice. That choice is yours and yours alone. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose for yourselves what you're going to do with this. This ultimately is your choice. We can be for all kinds of things. We can be for some great causes in our world that desperately need us to be for them. We can be for issues of justice, issues of, of, of the poor and the widowed, 
We can be for all those things, and we should be. But first and foremost, before we're for something else, we have to first start before us. We have to be for you, before me, for me. Because Jesus came and died for you. He didn't just die for the masses. What we read in Hebrews chapter 12 is that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw your face, your life, your future. He endured that because he's for you. And that's awesome that the son of God, that God would care so much about us, that he'd be for us, he'd be for you. But you have to be for you. You have to make that choice to say, you know what? I recognize that apart from God, I, I can do nothing. I've tried so many times and I've fallen short. I need to take ownership of my own life. I need to be for what God is for. And that's me. It's you. And I don't know what you've walked into this place with or what you've battled. Maybe you've invested your life into so many good things and that's awesome. Today, we have this moment in time where you have the opportunity to invest in your own life, to take a step for your own life. To say, today, I wanna get my life on the right path. I wanna step into what God has for me, what Jesus purchased upon the cross, what he made possible through his resurrection. That my life could be new. Paul writes that we could be a new creation in Christ Jesus. That the old is gone and the new has come. Like that could be your life. Regardless of all of the labels you've carried, all the things in your past, the, the baggage you've inherited from your family, whatever it might be, that you could be a new creation in Christ Jesus today. And I don't want to rush past this moment without giving you the chance to make that choice. To do what Joshua said. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. What will you invest your life into? It starts first right here. It starts with you, with me. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness and for your word. God, I thank you that you care so much about us. You love us. You've given everything for us. God, I pray in this moment, those that are here that have never taken that step to be right with you through Jesus. Those that have never invested into their own lives, say, Jesus, I need that forgiveness in my life to be made whole, to be transformed, that I could follow you, that I could invest my life into the things you are for. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them today. You would challenge them, Lord, that this would be a crossroads defining moment in their life. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here and say, Nick, I've never taken the step to follow Jesus, to accept his forgiveness, to to be for the things he is for, starting with me, making my life right. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna to count to three and I'm just gonna ask you on three to reach your hand toward heaven. Not some magic formula or anything, like, just as an act of your will to say, God, I wanna be right with you through Jesus. I wanna make things right. I wanna get on the right path, accept your forgiveness. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, one, two, three. Would you reach your hand toward heaven? Amen. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else today? Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer with me together, whether you raised your hand or not. I just want to lead you in a conversation with God. That's all prayer is. Now, my hope is this is the first of many conversations you have with God as you share what's on your heart, what you're walking through, the good and the bad. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, Dear God thank you for loving me. Thank 
Thank you for not giving up on me. Even when I've given up on myself. Today, I accept your forgiveness. I commit to live for your purposes. I want to be for the things you are for. And that starts with me. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.